if you like if you like prophecy books and stuff, I'd say he's the best, best writer out there right now. But that's my, me and DT, we agree on something. You've seen it here first. DT and I agree on something, all right? So see us if you want a good read. All right, uh, Romans chapter 12 in your Bibles this morning, Romans chapter 12. And my time, I knew, I told the guy, I said, I'm going to go last so that I'm responsible for making sure you all aren't here too long because I didn't know how long, you know, Matt would talk, you know. Um, he always says, I have nothing to say. And then he's got a lot to say. But it's always good, Matt. It's, that's what Michelle says. She says everything you say is perfect. Um, but at any rate, uh, we are going to move on in our series, Let's Be Reasonable. We're studying through the chapter of Romans chapter number 12. We've seen it's the third division in this letter. First division talks about faith over the law. The second one about what's God's plans and how is he going to keep his promises to Israel in chapters 9 through 11. And then in chapter 12, he teaches us and admonishes us that as believers in light of the doctrine uh, that we've been given that we are to live as, as living sacrifices, that we are to live in the spirit mindset, not the mindset of the flesh, and live out the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now today we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. We're going to cover several verses today. Verse 1 and 2 are very foundational, uh, but from here on out, I don't know how slow I'm going to go. I'm just going to take it as the Holy Spirit tells me to go and, and not go, but uh, we did the first paragraph. Now today we're going to, in the original Greek, we're looking at the second whole paragraph, and that's from verses uh, 3 to 8. But just in way of review, let's look at verse number 1 of Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's be reasonable. And then he tells them how to do that. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That reasonable service is the will of God in the life of every believer. Now today we move on to verse number three and notice the transition here in verse three. For I say, in light of that, in light of the truth that I've been saved by the mercy of God through faith. Remember, we saw this in Romans chapter 4 earlier in the letter, Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So it's not about what we do, but it's about belief and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Then he gets to chapter number 8 and he talks about how should we then live. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. If you've been saved, your sin debt has been paid and you are no longer under the uh, positional condemnation of God. In other words, if you were to die, you are saved and sealed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But he also means in that that in the life of the believer, there also can be no condemnation if we walk, as, as Romans 8, 1 says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. In other words, you can be saved and still experience some of the judgment of God if as a believer, you are disobedient to God and you are not being that living sacrifice. You are not living out the will of God in your life. That will bring some condemnation into your earthly physical life that you're here right now. He's very clear of this in Hebrews that every child he loves, he scourges. That's painful. But he says if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not experience that. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I have not perfectly walked in the Spirit in this flesh body that I live in. Sometimes some things come out of there, out of here that shouldn't, I shouldn't say, and God has to correct me. Now, today we're going to move on, and I want to show you, all right, if, we have to, if, if we're supposed to live reasonably and have 
reasonable service. What are the essential elements to reasonable service? Three things this morning that are, if you, if you say, well, I want to offer that kind of service, what, what is it, what, what's, what's it about? Number one, we all need humility. We all, and I'm talking to believers, need humility. Yeah, I got one amen, probably from those proud person here. Um, no, just kidding. Sorry, Mike, just picking on you. No, you're right. We all do. Notice what he says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, all you believers, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Paul says that through the grace given to him, I say. Now, when he says what grace, you know, I think the best way to define that is through the, the letter that, that we're reading. And if you go back early in the letter in the very beginning, in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 5, in his introduction, Paul says this, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul's saying, by the grace that I have received, and that's the grace to be called to be an apostle. Wow. And he says, in the authority, and I love how Paul does this in humility, he doesn't say, for I say, as the leading apostle of our time, who's going to write much of the New Testament. No, he doesn't say it that way. He says, by the grace given to me, I say unto you. By the call in my life as an apostle and a leader of the church, I say unto you, don't be proud. Don't think too much of yourself. You know, it could easily be said that wasn't it pride that was the downfall of mankind in the very beginning? I mean, I put a little quote up there. I don't know if they've said this. We get to heaven, we can ask them, but I'm going to quote them, okay? I will do it my way. Adam or Eve with a little help from Adam. And whenever you and I start adopting that philosophy or in our spirit, I'm doing it my way, ooh, that generally leads to problems. By the way, now this is not totally in my sermon, but I couldn't resist it because it's true. Isn't it interesting in America today that we have one month of the year that we celebrate as Pride Month? By the way, it seems to me that Pride Month has evolved to be Pride Year every month. I'm sick of it in my football stadiums and in my hockey rinks. I'm sick of it, you know. But anyway, that's another message for another time. But it is, I will give them this, it is appropriately named Pride Month. Because I'm doing what I want. But that's another sermon, and I'm sure I'm going to get demonetized all the millions of dollars we make on YouTube. I just, I just lost. That's okay. That's, okay. that's right. We're going to preach it anyway. Uh, so they, and we're on Rumble. We prefer you watch on Rumble anyway. Um, free speech. At any rate, um, pride always destroys, and yet as human beings, every one of us in here, I don't care how type A or type B your personality is, we all struggle with this issue of pride. The other, this last week, I got a little reminder of this, and I always like to share personal stories. Um, last week, Addie had gone to the doctor, and her and Jenny and Addie went to uh, children's to do a pre-surgery consult and whatever they're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And I told Addie, if she be, did really good, when you come back, we will go to Longhorn together. It's one of the few restaurants Addie can actually eat at, and she loves eating there, getting her chicken, which is all she can really eat fresh off the grill. She loves it. So she goes, okay, Shay Shay. I said, you be good. Mom will call me, and we meet, and we, we go get some chicken. You know, we'll, we'll go. I'll take you, you know, out to eat. So we, we all met 
at Longhorn and we're sitting down around the table and I noticed that um, Allison had a, this cute little sticker on, I can't remember what it said. Do you remember what it said, Allie? I, was, I behaved as a mother. I don't remember what yours said. But um, she had a sticker on, Addie had a sticker on, and Jenny had a sticker on. And I'm looking at that, and Chris, Addie's pointing out these stickers, and then I ask the obligatory question to put the grandchild on the spot. I said, where's my sticker? Right? All the grandfathers in here don't even want to say amen on that one. So, and, and I kid you not, Allison's back there. This is, this is this. I'm not preaching. I'm telling you the truth. This is what happened. Allie, Addie, I could tell her little, the wheels are spinning in her head. And then Addie looks over at Jenny and slowly reaches at her thing, pulls off her sticker, and hands it to me. Just saying. She knows who's buying Longhorn. She knows. So I wore that sticker, of course, you know, throughout the rest of the meal with a lot of pride. This is really great. And then I, in my pride, made a mistake. When we go to dinner, a lot of times she gets access because she only has limited access to her tablet. And she's got one of those cases on her tablet, you know, that protect it. So if she drops or whatever, and I could see the back of it because she was watching. I could see the back of it. And she had taken some other stickers and she had one sticker on this side, one sticker in the middle, but there was an empty spot over here. So I told Addie, I said, Addie, you're missing a sticker on your tablet. She turned around, looked at it and kind of agreed to me, with me, and then thinks about it. And a second later, she looks up at me and she points at me and says, Shay, Shay, give me the sticker. <laughs> so, so I went from here to lower than the tablet. And every parent in here knows that you rank lower than your kid's tablet time too. So I don't feel so bad. But yeah, it's amazing how we can get full of ourselves and how often God brings us back to humility you know, the Bible is really, really clear on, on this issue, and I could go on and on, but let me give you a couple of my favorite. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 26, 12, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold a humble in spirit. You want New Testament? Okay. Galatians 6, 3, for a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. How about Philippians 2, 3? Boy, this would be great as a theme verse for the church. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And back in Proverbs, maybe the, my favorite that I didn't give to Allie is Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. There's a lot of truth in that. If you ever want to offer reasonable service, it requires humility. You cannot make everything about you and your feelings and what I thought. You can't develop an arrogant and boastful and also, uh, I've also known folks, and because I know you say, well, you're talking about all those type A people that give their opinion all the time. Well, that's very true, and I can identify with them, but, you know, there are some people that everything about it is self-pity and woe is me and everything is bad, oh, 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 and you don't know how bad, and that really hurt my feelings, and, you know, or they say it and say, well, I didn't want to say anything, and I don't ever say anything, you know, and then you, you hold everybody else accountable for your their actions but you never say anything like the rest of us are supposed to go oh I know they're having a little self-pity you know can I tell you this self-pity is just another form of pride because it's all about 
you. So don't just pick on the big mouths who, like Peter, tend to just say what they think. We all deal with this issue. Paul says that we're to think soberly or reasonably, realize and embrace that God has dealt to every believer a measure of faith. And I'm going to define that here in a, in a moment. But notice it says we're told not to think more highly than we ought to think. Back again to those who think, oh, I'm just nothing. And, you know, you, know, you offend God if you sit there and you tell him how oh, I have nothing and I, have, I can't do anything. And, and it's been, you know, that, that, that's an offense. God made you, and if you're a believer, you, as we're going to see, are gifted. You ought to think something of yourself. Because God values you. Why don't you value you? You are so loved and so valuable to God that he sent and left the glories of heaven and died on a cross for your sin that he could offer you an eternal relationship. You're, you're, you're valuable. But if you want to have reasonable service, number one, it, it, we all, you got to have humility. The second essential element, number two, is to recognize is that we are all connected. Notice as we go on in our text, Paul goes in another conjunction there. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Paul uses the illustration of a body and says that all believers are a part of the body. Now, he talks about this throughout other letters in, in 1 Corinthians to the letter Corinth and to Ephesus and to Colossae. He mentions the same picture. And, and the question is, what, what does he mean when he's talking about a body here? And I find it very interesting that when he talks about offering reasonable service and lays the foundation, and first he says you got to be humble, but when it comes to how do we practically put it into place, the first body that he mentions is the body of Christ. Now, what is this? Well, uh, it's pretty easy if we look in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, ye, believers, are the body of Christ and members in particular. How about this one, Colossians 1, 18? And he, Jesus, is the head of the body. What's the body? The church says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4 about the church. And in Ephesians 4.16, he says, The whole body fitly joined together and compacted that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. He's simply saying that we're all connected, and if you're a believer here this morning, that you and I are part of the body of Christ. Now, I understand theologically, people say, well, there's the universal church and then there's the local church, which is true. In other words, every believer, whether they're in Israel this morning, whether they're in the Gaza Strip, whether they're in the Ukraine, whether they're in Canada, if they're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are all part of the body of Christ. True. However, he also means, and I think more clearly in its context, Believers are to be a part of a local body of believers that meet together. You see, what we do and do not do impacts other believers in the body. Most Christians, this is going to be unpopular, it's the truth. Most Christians do not want to accept this fact. If you are saved, you are a part of the body of Christ. If you're not in the body of Christ, I would admonish you to get in the body of Christ by faith in the finished work of Christ and be baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And it's impossible to offer reasonable service 
without acting in connection with the body of Christ, a local body. There is no way you'll ever be able to, at least to this, this southern, I guess I'm calling my, myself a southern roll tide war eagle redneck preacher, you're never going to be able to, 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 to convince me that in the book of Romans, when Paul wrote this letter to the believers at Rome, that when he says about the body that he's referring to some unknown universal church. He's referring to those believers that were gathering together there at Rome. And so the application for us is us as believers gathering together as Open Door Baptist Church today. You see, the problem is some of the body are not working. Or they're working improperly. Now I can tell you from firsthand knowledge what it is to live in a body, in my particular case, that has some neurological issues that sometimes what my brain tells my foot to do and what my foot actually does are two different things. And I know I got some fellow uh, people that understand this. You know, it's always, it's always wonderful when, when that happens when I'm in Publix or Walmart or somewhere and all of a sudden I'm, you know, doing a face plant or something, you know, and everybody, everybody's looking around. And don't worry, just some old guy fell over. Don't worry, he's, he's fine, you know. Or, or recently in my family, my dad's been battling shingles. How many of you have had shingles? And he's, my dad's had him on his hand right now, and he's lost use on, on his dominant hand, which is his left hand. He lost use of most of his fingers for several, several months. And so, you know, imagine losing that, and all of a sudden your effectiveness is just not there. He still had the fingers. The fingers were part of the body, but they sure weren't doing a whole lot of good. See, we're all connected, and many people think, well, it doesn't matter if I don't do anything, and I don't really make a difference in the church. Well, first off, you're wrong in the set. Jesus, the head of the body, knows <laughs> he, he knows what we're functioning or not. And the bottom line is, all of us, if you're a believer here this morning, you are connected, and the local church is essential in, in, in the operation of, of offering reasonable service. Now, last this morning, because I'm about out of time, we all have a gift. Number three, we all have a gift. We all need to be humble. We all got to recognize we are connected. And number three, we, we all have a gift. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have a gift. Look in our, in our text at uh, verses 6 to 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the pr proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. And he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You are gifted if you're a believer here this morning. There's no debate. You see, by grace are we saved, and by grace we serve. Earlier, Paul had said his apostleship was through the grace given to him. Then he says here to every believer, you know, is given this measure of faith, this, this gift, and then he says that gift of grace has also been given to us. So he had a gift, apostleship. Lived it out to the measure of faith. That was what God gave him. Gives you and I, every believer, a, a, a gift that's also entrusted to you. Say, I, I thought to myself this week as I studied this, what does he mean by a measure of faith there? Well, God's giving you what he's chosen for you to do, and you just need to fulfill the measure of faith that you have been given. God has entrusted you with some gift. He has. He's entrusted you with it. In some way, isn't that kind of a demonstration of faith? 
God says, I'm going to give you this spiritual gift. Do something with it. You see, it's like the parable of the talents. Remember that, what Jesus taught? Everybody thinks that's about unsaved and saved. I personally don't think so. They were all servants. And he gave to each of the servants a talent. And you remember the one servant, what did he do? Hit it in the ground. Doesn't matter, I'll just hide it in the ground. No big deal. And boy, when you read, when the Lord comes back, he, he, he was not real happy about it. Just telling you. He got rebuked severely. Lost out on some rewards and some privileges and the talent that he had, the opportunities that he had to make a difference because that person didn't take it. The, 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 the ruler, the Lord gives them to somebody else. Now, I've said this before. People say, well, what, if I don't do something, you mean don't get done? No, God's will is going to get done. God is sovereign. He'll get done what he wants to get done. The question is, you and I, how much of a part of it do you want to be? Because if, if you take your gift and set it on the sideline and you stay out of the, the body of Christ, you stay out of the activity of the local church and you're not using your gift to edify the body, well, you know what? Those opportunities get passed along to somebody else and if you won't do it, unfortunately, there are other believers that will. It's just that on behalf of those other believers, many of us are tired. <laughs> Can you help a brother out, please? <laughs> okay. See, I knew I'd step on toes. Where's my wife? See, I knew I'd step on toes right there. There you go. You see, this week I saw, and I can't remember, I think it was Jason Dominguez that started this whole thing. Did y'all see it this week, the Babylon Bee? Um, uh, what part of the body of Christ are you? Take the quiz. If you haven't done this, you go to the Babylon Bee, you can, you can take the quiz and, and find out via the Babylon Bee. There is a spirit, you know, you gotta love the bee, but uh, it's pretty funny. I, I took it a couple different times, and I, and it was, I think it just must be fun because it kept giving me different answers, but the last time I took it, it told me that I was... The elbow. You make things happen and are prone to tendonitis. You know, how true they are. Um, you know, elbow, you know, kaboom, that's what we do with that, kaboom. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that, you know, that's a thing to hit things with, right? Um, everybody's got a gift. Now, the Bible lists these gifts here, and we're not going to take a lot of time. I'm out, pretty much out of time, but it gives prophecy which is foretelling truth. It's not people think prophecy necessarily, you know, foretelling the future. The word of God and its canon is complete. I think the predominant idea of the gift of prophecy in the New Testament era is giving out truth. And all I would say to that for those of you, because I do believe God sometimes can give someone a, a vision. I think God can do whatever he wants to do, so I'm not limiting. I'm not a complete cessationist, but let me put it this way, in Jeremiah, if you're going to go that route, because I can hear the people now say, what about it? And they're going to use all these Old Testament illustrations, which is fine. But if you're going to do that, in Jeremiah 23 and in Deuteronomy 18, God is very clear that if someone says that they have a, a word of knowledge and that they can see the future and they have the spiritual gift and you should do what they say, uh, the, God says in those passages in another place that, it, it, that if it's legitimately from God, they will be right every single time. Is God ever going to be wrong if he knows something coming down in the future? No. So most of these lunatics and, and yahoos, they, 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 you say, oh, they got this right. Well, you know what? I could make a couple of predictions. You know, let me, let me make one. Uh, let me, you know, ooh, I can be like Connick from Johnny Carson. Some of the old people know him. You know, uh, uh, I think in 2024, inflation's going to go up. <laughs> what? 
I, you know, anybody can get something right. But God says, if you're really my, you, you know, you're really a messenger of mine, you'll be right every single time. So I would just tell you, if somebody claims that gift, and you watch what they say over time, but if they're wrong one time, they're a false prophet. And I'd tune them out. And I'll leave that there before I get myself in any more trouble than I could otherwise get myself in. Then he goes on and say, the gift of ministry which in the Greek is the word for deacon. Again, I say this over and over. People have this idea that a deacon, what's a deacon? You ask most of the Southerners, like, oh, they're the people that meet together and run the church. No, they aren't. Not biblically. To be a deacon means to serve. It's literally what it means, and that's the word here in, in this passage, that, that one of the gifts is deaconing. So even women, by the way, can be, by biblical standards, can be a deacon because I've known a lot of women who have the gift of serving. Deaconing. Then he goes on and talks about teaching. Well, some people can explain God's truth in informative and interesting ways. Then exhorting, as, as uh, Will mentioned, I think truly really that's my gift, more like Barnabas. I think my main gift, one of them, is exhortation. I'm an encourager. That's what I like to do. I like to come alongside people and say, hey, you can do it, you can do it, you know, uh, uh, and, and the gift of exhortation. Then there's the ruler, someone with leadership abilities, and they're great organizers. Then mercy, those that come alongside that, that have, offer empathy and sympathy, people with that wonderful gift of mercy. Now, I believe in these verses that, that, are, that are just given here, these couple verses, these, what, five, six different gifts, my guess would be, or I would believe, that every believer in here this morning has at least one of the things I just listed. You can probably do one, at least one of the things we've just listed. By the way, the problem with spiritual gifting and when we read these things is we always apply it into the Western modern church dynamic. In other words, I have the gift of teaching, therefore I've got to teach junior church, or I've got to have a Sunday school class. Well, if I think the person with the gift of teaching should be involved in those things, that's wonderful. But understand, when Paul wrote this in the book of Romans, I don't think Paul had in mind, hey, make sure all your junior church workers have the gift of teaching. He's talking about teaching and edifying the body of Christ. In other words, remember, I think Paul wrote later in Titus that the elder women in the church were to teach the younger women in the church? He's talking about you and I being involved in another believer's life. And if you've been given the gift of teaching, God may call you to come alongside and lovingly and creatively say, hey, let me show you this issue you're doing in your life, what God has to say about it, and how you can apply it in your life. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not just about, well, you know, because people come to me and say, well, I don't know what kind of job. There, you know, there's, how many jobs are there here at church? Well, we need someone to teach junior church. We need people in the nursery, and we do. These are all needful ministries. We've got the Iwana program. We got, I don't know, we got the outreach. Pro, we got, we, there, there are things to do, but sometimes you say, well, you know, what do I do? Well, you know what? Every believer should be involved in their local church, not primarily by saying, well, I'm a junior church teacher, you know? No, I would ask you, what person inside of the church, or how are you using your spiritual gift to edify the local church to which you are a part. You say, well, a ruler, a ruler must be a deacon on the deacon board. Wrong again. If, if you're a parent here this morning, if you're a mom, you're a ruler. Now, some of you have more giftedness in ruling. If that's your spiritual gift, that's an added blessing to you. You're the one that always has your children walking in church like this. Yes, ma'am, thank you very much. And the rest of us love you. Um, just kidding, a little hyperbole there. Bottom line is the church needs everyone. Now, don't lose sight, and I'm going to close with this, how these, these gifts work. 
they require, as Paul, as God started, they require humility, which is the key to grace, the unmerited favor of God, and the opposite of pride. Think about this now. These gifts, when you get a spiritual gift and you and I use it not in the spirit, but we use it in pride, destruction happens. I, I, I have grown up a part of my life in some independent fundamental Baptist churches and someone will say, well, bless God, I've got the gift of prophecy and I have the gift of telling right and wrong and you, sir, are a loser. That, that, that is the mindset and what actually happens in some churches. I can't believe you're wearing that in church. I'm a prophet, and the prophet says that, that, that women shouldn't wear purple. I don't know why I just kind of made that up, but I promise you that I, I've got some uh, folks in here that have been in some churches that, one way or another that know that I'm telling the truth. Their churches are just that crazy. And they justify it by saying, well, that's my spiritual gift. Or we say, well, I, I, I do this over here, and, and oh, I, I can't do that, and we just got all these excuses. But if you take grace out of the mix, pride comes in. You see, grace is what keeps the prophet in proportion. Grace is what keeps the servant's ability to wait on ministry, the Bible says. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the servant needs to understand by grace that sometimes the servant wants to go on and do too much for someone and hence enable them. Where do I know as a servant when that's my gift and I want to keep doing that? Uh, nope, nope, nope. The grace says you, you, you got to stop. Grace is what gives the teacher that unique power to connect. Grace is what gives the exhorter, someone like myself uh, with the gift of exhortation, to give that word. People say, man, you said the exact word I needed to hear. And lots of, when you all say that to me, please understand, it isn't from me. There's many times where you'll say that to me, and I thought to myself, I didn't really think of that. I know where it came from. The Holy Spirit of God prompted that inside of me, using my giftedness to edify and exhort the body of Christ. If I take grace out of that and I start getting full of myself, I am very likely, as sometimes I still do, to say the wrong thing. Grace is what gives the leader the diligence to keep at it when his plans <laughs> are destroyed by other members of the body. Rulers, if your gift is spiritual is ruling and you're an organizer, you don't like people like me who like to fly <laughs> and say, hey, I think this is a good idea 10 minutes before the church service. Right, Pastor Danny? I, he's, he, he's going, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Um, but that grace comes in. Grace is what gives the person of mercy. Cheerfulness is what the Bible says here. When the gift they offer is rejected or misused. When you're a person of mercy and somebody's really struggling, you go help them out and then they, they either stomp on it or stomp on you. It's rejected. The person of mercy needs grace to continue to be cheerful. You see, here's the KCS quote of the morning. The gifts without grace are flesh and pride. The gifts without grace are flesh and pride. You see, reasonable service has humility. I got to be humble. It has responsibility. I am a part of the body and I'm going to accept that accountability and take the responsibility. It has humility, responsibility, and lastly, ability. God has gifted you to do something in the body of Christ. It might be through some formal program. It might be just the way you're connected in the body of Christ. You know, if you're an exhorter throughout the week, you're the kind of one that God says, hey, you should, you should send that person a text. Are you doing that? 
Are you even considering it? Maybe you're, you're a teacher. Whatever your gift is, God wants to use it. In closing this morning, I, I, I thought about um, giving one illustration before I stop that kind of demonstrates this whole idea. When the body of Christ is basically working with grace and not in pride, there's, there's unity, there's peace. Don't you like it when there's peace in the church? If you've been in a church where there's not, which if you've lived for the Lord any length of time, you probably have been. Ah, it's nice. When the body works together. Several weeks ago, Jenny and I were out of town and uh, we spent a few days seeing my brother, who's uh, the assistant director of the Wilds Christian Camp up in New England. And we went up there and stayed at the camp, stayed with my brother. And while we were there, um, my brother had a couple days he had to work and he said, I don't want to leave you stranded out here in the middle of nowhere, so I'm going to leave you my truck. He goes, now my truck is a great truck. He said, it's got 200 and something thousand miles on it. He said, but I just put a brand new clutch in it and it's a five-speed. Now, I probably taught my brother how to drive a five-speed manual transmission. Anybody in here, how many, don't you love manual transmissions? Amen, all right? Real cars have manual transmissions. Um, but, uh, so, he, I said, what kind of truck do you have? And he says, I have a Tacoma. Now, if you know anything about Tacomas, I call Tacomas taco trucks. Drew's not in here to give me an amen, but I'll say amen for Drew anyway. Taco truck! And whenever I see one, you know, you, you know the word Tacoma. Some of you are looking at me. I don't get it. Well, here, let me give you a they found this. You know, spell check Tacoma, you know, taco. See it there? See it? Now you will never unsee it. You will always see it. Every truck you see, every Toyota Tacoma you see, you're going to say, I need to go to Taco Bell. Taco, Taco. Matter of fact, if you go online, there's all kinds of clubs that, they, you know, we give you another picture, you know, that will say, it's Taco time, it's Taco time. And, you know, and uh, I will tell you, we got to drive my brother's, uh, I think it's an 05 or an 06 Toyota Tacoma, which I think they're probably arguably the best truck in their class. That's my personal opinion. If you want Pastor Ken's opinion, I think they're the best truck out there. But um, I, I, Jenny and I are driving around this five-speed truck, and, you know, we got plenty of cars, and I look over at one day and say, you know, we have no need for this truck, but I want this truck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I like driving a manual transmission on top of it, so we're driving around. Well, one day we went to this little town. Jenny wanted to go get a lobster roll um, from, you know, right there in New England where they're really made well. And we went to this little mom and pop place to get it. And um, th there's one little stoplight in town, and it was on the top of a little hill. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You see, if you drive a five-speed manual transmission, it, 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 you need your eyes looking, your ears listening to the engine, you know, hear the RPMs. I don't really look at the, 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 the RPM, yeah, I'm listening. One hand is on the steering wheel, one hand's on the gear shift, one foot's doing the gas and the brake, the other foot's doing the clutch, one arm is empowering one hand, the other arm's empowering the other hand, one leg doing one ankle and foot, the other, you know, the whole body's involved in it, which is why manual transmissions are great, because there's, there's, there's engagement to the whole process. You know, it's awesome. Matter of fact, it's also the best security measure you can ever get. Um, you know, you don't need to put no alarm on your car to have a manual transmission. Those thugs don't know how to drive them. At any rate, <laughs> we're coming up to this hill. And there's a couple cars in front of me, so I'm having to stop mid-hill. Okay? As we're coming to a stop, my wife says to me, my encouraging wife must be her spiritual gift, says to me, this is why I didn't want to drive this truck into this town. Which made me think about it. If I wouldn't have thought about it, I would have just went into my natural thing. My kids will tell you, I wouldn't let them drive. I always had some manual transmission cars, and Allison will tell you, a little hill right over here, right? Uh, I made her, so she could not drive the manual transmission until she could come to a complete stop on the hill and not kill it and get herself back up the hill. 
That was the, that was the final exam. So I'm pretty good at it, you know, but she said it and then I started thinking about it and I had my foot on the clutch and right about that time, you know, if, if you know anything about it, I'm not used, I didn't put on the emergency brake, I, do, I went with the old, because I'm pretty good at it, you know, you just keep enough pressure on off the clutch to keep it there, you know, I'm pretty good at that. That's a great method unless you have a neurological disease. And as I kept trying to modulate my, my calf muscle, my body said, oh, I've had enough of this. <laughs> and I went into cramp mode where my, this happened, it happened this morning to me. All of a sudden, my leg goes, boing, I, firm, straight out there. And I have the clutch to the floor, right? Now I'm on this hill, and I'm, it's painful on top of it. I got the clutch to the floor, and, and I'm going, oh, what am I going to do? What? And Jenny's going, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And of course, the taco trucks and the old flash ones have the little pull-out emergency brake. I love those. They have little pull-out ones. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. So what I decided to do was I said, well, I can't really modulate the clutch. So the only other option I really have is to pop the clutch. Just let her go, right? So I thought, but if I do that, I got to have enough on the, on the accelerator, you know, so I've popped a few clutches in my day, but not when I was in the middle of a major cramp and I'm dying in pain, but I did it anyway. And so I flip my foot, you know, off the side of the clutch, the clutch pops up. And at the same time I hit the gas. Well, I didn't realize the old taco truck has some, has some beans in it. <laughs> and I lit those back tires up. <laughs> I mean, that thing is going, Whoo! And, you know, the smoke is starting to, to billow through there. And I'm still in the middle of a cramp. My leg is still hanging out there. And I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what to do. And now the truck is not going up the hill because it's doing a burnout instead. <laughs> and I don't know how long we sat there doing a burnout, but it was four or five seconds because I'm trying to think what my next move is, right? I'm saying, well, I got to let a little bit off the, off the throttle to lower it so the truck will start moving, right? That's the solution to that problem. Well, I'm trying to modulate that and I let off the, the, the fuel a little bit too much and I killed it. <laughs> what every guy, you know, doesn't want to do. And there I sit. And then I'm going, oh, so I'm going, come on, work legs. So now I'm cranking the clutch back down to start it up again. And by the grace of God, somehow, I got that, that truck going. But I will tell you one thing. As funny as it was for Jenny and I, and she laughed at me all the way down to the egg roll plays or the clam chowder, whatever goofy thing you ate. But you should have seen the look on the lady who was behind me. <laughs> I am so thankful that I had my brother's truck with New Hampshire plates on it. It didn't say Alabama plates or something. I was so thankful. You know, then she's probably going, taco, taco, taco truck. You know, don't get by a taco truck. But that lady's eyes were like this big, thinking, what is this idiot doing? You know, and I'm like, and I only saw her once the smoke cleared, and her eyes were still like, <laughs> you know. She, she was giving me wide berth going up that hill. I can tell you that. You see, when the body doesn't function right, Disaster, And then I had to go back and tell my brother, hey, you know that new clutch you put in? <laughs> Tried that out this morning. And when you go back to Hillsboro, the little town down there, you'll see these two black marks right at the stoplight. <laughs> you can pick up the rest of your tires there. <laughs> yes, I had an enjoyable time telling him, you know. Uh, it was great. You see, the body is supposed to work together. That's how you offer reasonable service. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Thank you for the faithfulness and attentiveness of your people. 
God, I pray for every believer that's in here this morning. God, you've gifted them for a specific purpose. From the youngest Christian in here to the oldest one, you've given us a job to do to edify the body. And Lord, I pray that as we've sat here this morning, maybe there's a Christian that's recognized or you've talked to him and said, hey, you've got a responsibility to get involved. Get involved in your local church and the body. Maybe there's a Christian here this morning who says, Pastor, I've just, boy, I thought nothing of myself and didn't realize and Satan's blinded me to the giftedness that he's given to me and I'd like to discern my gift and use it. Maybe here this morning he says, Pastor Ken, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not sure I'm in the body. My dear friend, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Place your faith in Christ this morning for your eternal salvation. Don't leave this life not knowing Christ as your Savior. The Bible's clear that when a person dies, there's either heaven or hell. You're going one of those two places. But God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you and rise again that he could offer you eternal life. Would you believe him for it today? Holy Spirit of God, seal decisions in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Joe's going to come and lead us in a verse invitation.